How many know you have a purpose? Make some noise. Amen. How many know you have a purpose to be in church today? Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you came. Wonderful. Make sure that you tell that neighbor that you're glad that they came. You know, open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians 1 verse 15 because you know they didn't have to come today. So we're glad that you are here. We're going to talk about enlightened to our inheritance. Everybody say inheritance. Thank you. Our inheritance is that which belongs to us because Jesus died to give it to us. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. Hope that you guys keep up with us. Read your Bible. The book of Ephesians is our sermon series, and I think it's important every single week to go through this book. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So look up here, please. Here is what Paul is telling us in his prayer. Verse by verse, we're at the prayer now. Paul is telling us that he prays for these people because they love God, they believe in him, and they love others. And he says he keeps asking that they would know God better. Now remember this. This is important in all that you do. This is the principle of Jesus, that you would seek first the kingdom of God, and then all in his righteousness, and then all of these things would be added unto you. Those who are not seeking God first, and everything that they do are foolish according to the Bible because they're building their house on sand and everything they have will come down with the great crash. Now sadly, right now, we're seeing this in the world we live in. We're watching this with hurricanes. Why are there hurricanes? Because man sinned in the Garden of Eden. We live in a fallen world. The Bible says that even nature is groaning for the time for Jesus to come back and the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. There's something special in that passage with Romans where Paul says that the creation groans and waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. What I think this means is that sons and daughters of God control weather and were given that power in the Garden of Eden. Jesus showed us a taste of it when he was there on the boat con uh, commanding the waves. And so what will happen when Jesus comes back to rule and reign? We will be able to control the weather. Elijah stopped rain and started rain. In the end times when the witnesses come, they will stop rain and start rain. This is the power of our God. Can I hear an amen? But what we are learning is that houses cannot withstand the power of hurricanes. Now, if I would have said to you, say a year ago, would you like one of those houses in Miami, Maine, right by the beach? Well, how about one of these houses next to Oprah Winfrey, worth about $10 million? You would say, oh, yeah, I want it, Pastor. I want it. Would you trade your house that you have right now in Chicago? Oh, yeah, I want it, Pastor. I want it. Now, some of you might be a little bit smarter than that. You might have remembered what hurricanes can do in times past, like Hurricane Andrew or Katrina in New Orleans, etc. But some of you might have traded. Now, imagine if I said this. Here's the deal. It's your house to keep. Once you trade it, your house for this house in the Miami, you have to keep it, and you have to be in it every day. That's the deal. You have to be in it every day. Now, let's say you didn't think about hurricanes. You're just so excited. You're like, oh, my goodness, I only have a two-bedroom bungalow. Of course, I, I will trade for a $10 million mansion, and yes, I'll be here every day. Would you want to be there today? 
And see, the sad part is, is that many people are building houses of sand. They've traded eternal life, and that's all that they have is this life. And the Bible says that this life is going to be judged, and it's going to come down with a great crash. And so when we see temporary properties being destroyed by hurricanes, we don't shake our fists back at God and go, how dare you? We glorify God and say, blessed be the name of the Lord, who gives and takes away. And we're looking forward to a kingdom to come when sons and daughters control the weather in Jesus' name. Now you may say, Pastor, well, that's just make-believe. I don't want to believe that. Well, believe whatever you want on your way to hell. I'm going to believe what God said on my way to heaven. Now, why did I say that in this part right here? Is because everything you do in life needs to be father-filtered. If you don't have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, you will not understand the weather better. You will not understand anything according to God's plan. But when you have God's wisdom, that's the application of knowledge and truth, revelation having that which is hidden be revealed. Once you have wisdom and revelation given to you by the Holy Spirit to know God better, you will know the entire planet better. Every scientist will be a better scientist when they have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Matter of fact, there's something i got to skip ahead to right now just to show you that's going to come in our message on spiritual insight into the inheritance of God, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And I didn't get much of a chance to talk about in second service, so I might as well go on my unction right now and scroll all the way down to my notes and show it to you. But one of the things that they're starting to find out now with brain scans is that you're not your brain. Everybody say, I'm not my brain. You know, the people that come and do the TED Talks are very smart people. One of the things that they have found out is that when they put uh, the probes to your brain, that they can show you on a live monitor what your brain is doing. They can scan it and show you what it's doing in real time. One of the things that they're doing right now for people who are OCD, people who struggle with depression, anxiety, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder with our, our servicemen and women, what they are now doing is hooking them up to the machines and provoking them, triggering them to have an episode. While they are in that safe place having an episode, they begin to show them their brain activity so that they can see what's going on in the brain. Now, how many know you're not your brain? Your, your mental life and what you are experiencing in your mind is not what you're seeing there. All you're seeing there is physical representations of what you're producing up here. So now what do they do? They now then say to them, do these techniques. One of the most powerful techniques to stop fear and anxiety and depression is empathy. Think about your wife, your daughter. Here is a picture of them. Think about them. Think about how much you love them. This has been used naturally in wartime and in times of struggle all throughout human history people thinking about the ones they love, having hope in those relationships. And what they'll then see is the other parts of their brain begin to activate and the other parts begin to deactivate. So they see themselves as the observer of the brain, the soul observing the brain. Are you listening? And as they are observing the brain, they not only find themselves to be an observer, but they are actually the causer of the things that are going on inside their brain. And so there may have been triggers that they didn't know about, very true and well, but now they understand I can respond to them, not just react to them. I just don't have to go on instinct of what the brain is doing. I can interact with the brain. 
But how many know that's already been in the Bible in a place called Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true in proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? By the renewing of your what? Of your mind, thank you. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect, pleasing, and good will. Look at that. We have now found in research that you can renew your mind, and it changes everything, but you have to lay down your body as a living sacrifice. You can't try to be in control. The worst thing to do in an anxiety attack is try to make it to stop by making it to stop. All you'll do is make it worse. What you have to do is count it as dead, focus your mind on something else, and then the brain will follow. You say, Pastor, why does that matter? The reason why that matters is because today in the church, people are dealing with depression, anxiety, things like never before, and many of you have asked yourself, why is it not working when I read my Bible, when I pray, when I do all of these things? Well, the reason why it's not working is because you don't have a revelation of who God is. This is not something that just happens by accident. Your thoughts are intentional, and you must be intentional about your thoughts. And so many of you lack the spirit of wisdom when it comes to your thought life. I could be here all day. If I asked you right now, tell me your 10 biggest struggles and put a scripture next to it that you know God is providing the answer for, I bet you I couldn't even give out $1,000 in this place. But I couldn't even get 10 of you to write down 10 things that you struggle with in life and put a scripture next to it, and I'll give you $100. And that's why many of you are busted and disgusted. Don't you dare blame my God. I'll go through a hurricane praising God. I'll go to a funeral praising God. I'll go through what you went through twice as bad, and I'll still praise God. You see, some of you have believed the lie of the devil that nobody knows the pain I had. No, nobody knows because they don't care because the devil's a liar. The devil told you that somebody else has got to go through exactly what you went through to understand what you went through. No, this is what I understand. Everybody listen to me. I understand there is a thief that has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. That's what I understand. Well, you weren't beat by your daddy. It doesn't matter if I wasn't beat by my daddy. Well, you weren't molested. It doesn't matter if I wasn't molested because I'll get 20 beaten people up here to testify about what their God did for them and shame the devil you've been listening to. I'm tired of people telling me their problems are bigger than God. The devil's a liar. Stop believing his lies. And what I have gone through and what you have gone through is nothing compared to what Jesus himself went through. The God-man incarnate in flesh to be beaten and crucified by his own creation. But it says we have been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You ain't been thrown into a lion's den yet. What you complaining about? You haven't been thrown into a fiery furnace yet. What you talking about, Jack? Come on. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Stop listening to everybody on your job talk about how busted and disgusted they are just like you. Find out what the Bible says people like you did when they put their faith in God. Their mind changed their brain. Their spirit changed their body. 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You see, I've gone through some hardships that I know people have gone through the identical same thing and they still on medication. That's why I'm not going to believe your pity patty party. I lost my sister drinking and driving, buried her, preached my first funeral at my sister's at my sister's burial, and I still went there with a smile on my face. What you talking about? I've been betrayed. I've been lied on. Come on, somebody. God's been too good to me to have you believe any other story. Your devil inside of you right now will get you angry hearing this preaching, but cast that devil out of you in the name of Jesus. And if you can't do it while I'm preaching, I'll do it when you come up here. Because some of your demons get upset when I talk like this. Some of your spirits start telling you, well, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. I'll be here waiting for you after church. That's that. Don't believe that. You tell that devil to shut up and get out of you right now. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you listen to me right now. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I rebuke every one of his lies. And if you can't get him to shut up, you meet me right here and we'll cast him out in Jesus' name. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now watch this. You ain't never gone through something worse than Jesus. That's why I can speak boldly and say whatever you've gone through, I can go through ten times worse and still praise God. Because my cloud of witnesses, my Jesus says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's how I'm going through every single one of my problems with joy looking unto what God promised scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. You lost heart. Some of you lost heart in your battle because you weren't looking unto Jesus. You lost heart in your struggle because you weren't looking unto Jesus. I'm not going to tell you a lie and tell you it's all right. God understands everybody has a bad day. The devil is a liar. I have made a decision up in my mind. I'm not giving him one day. Not one day. You understand? Not one day. I'm not giving him one day. Every day is a good day with Jesus. Every day. You arrest me, put me in jail. Today's a day that's a good day with Jesus. I didn't own this life. I didn't create this life. I didn't put two brain cells in my brain for this life. God did it, and I'll praise him for it regardless of what you do. You need to make a mind up today that I will have the mind of Christ. You see, I get preaching like this because I know in the first service as well as I feel in my spirit in this second service that y'all reading, but you ain't understanding. You're hearing, but you're not putting your mind to this stuff. And that's why the Bible says you don't have the fruit in your life. Everything according to the Word of God is a seed that must be planted and watered with your faith and obedience to see it grow. And so I can't make you see God better. All I can do is pray for you to see Him better, and I'll keep asking asking until all of y'all get to see him better or you find another church that preaches another Jesus. And I'm not saying we're the only church preaching Jesus here. I'm just saying I'm not going to let up on the Jesus that you're supposed to see. You're supposed to see a Jesus that's more than a conqueror over every one of your situations. You're supposed to see a Jesus that has the whole world submitted to him underneath his feet. 
I pray you get wisdom to see through financial trouble. I pray you get lights turned on and revelation comes in relationship issues you're facing right now. I pray every single one of us gets wisdom to understand what's going on in Chicago, to understand what's going on in politics, so that we will get woke to the hope beyond the scope of human limitation. Because this is not make-believe. I believe the one who walked on water is walking with me. I can face any storm. Now, some of y'all got too many K-Love songs up in your spirit. Kick them things out in Jesus' name. We can be broken together. Ain't nobody going to be broken together with me. I'm going to be healed. If you don't want to be healed, you ain't going to be broken with me. Go be broken and busted and disgusted with the guy at the bar, not me. You come around me, we're going to get healed. Well, I came to you, Pastor Broken. That's all right. Come broken, leave healed. I'm tired of hearing all these depressing songs telling us this is the way it's supposed to be. It's no different than a country song singing, I got a tear in my beer. Ain't no tear in my beer. You listening to me? Tears come down our eyes, but we don't mourn like the world that the world is, like the world does. Does anybody not believe the Bible? I remember one man telling a story. A girl died in a car accident. Everybody was weeping and wailing, weeping and wailing. One pastor was there. He was a young man, and the other one was the older man mentoring him. And this is a true story. I just heard it uh, the other day. And, and, and the, the older pastor had a smile on his face, was just blessed to be here. Not saying we don't mourn with people, but he just had a peace about him. And the young pastor said, well, aren't you supposed to be crying with everybody? He said, none of these people even believe in heaven. He said, because if they believed in heaven, they would know where she is right now. They're grieving as if this person has been lost forever. And that's the problem. I understand if I lose a daughter, I'm going to cry and be broken over my lost child. But the idea is we don't grieve like the world does. Do you believe in heaven or not? Do you believe that lost people who die here are not lost forever? You see, the world grieves because they're never going to see grandpa again and get to watch a football game with them or whatever. To hell with that. Are you listening? I could give a rip if I ever watch a football game with grandpa. Oh, he would have loved watching the Cubs. Well, I don't give a rip about any of that. If he don't know Jesus, he's in hell. If he knows Jesus, he's in heaven, and he could care less about sports, and I'll meet him there. It's about time we get excited about the things of God again and show this world we believe what it says. I believe what it says. I don't mourn like other people. I don't mourn like I lose my house in a flood. So what? Build another one. Build ten more. We don't put our hope in houses. I went to Katrina and did relief there, and I'm telling you what, I had preached in New Orleans eight years on Bourbon Street, been to all of those communities eight years, just like I love Chicago, I love them, and just like most of Chicago, they were a prideful and arrogant people, just like most of your friends and neighbors, oh, but they were so broken when they had to come to us to get their toiletries, when they had to come to us to get their baby's diapers, I'm talking people that had lots of money, had to come to the non-for-profits to get their toiletries. And now I'm going to tell you what. You know what that showed me real quick? That's what sinners are like on the day of judgment when they're going to have lost it all and they're going to be broken into pieces and they're going to come to God mopey wishing they get another chance. But Jack, you don't get another chance now. It's over to hell you go because that's what you wanted. 
And I'll tell you what, you better look at every one of these suffering right now. And I'm not telling you that they're only bad. The, 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 The godly suffer with the ungodly, as the Bible says. But you look at the suffering. Just look at their faces. Look at the terror on their faces. My friend, this is nothing compared to the judgment that is to come upon this world. You better get right or you're going to get left. And those who are going to get left will be tormented. And they will cry out for the rocks to fall on them so they may die and be hidden from the face of God. Are you listening? You better have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Let wisdom change the way you see the world. I lost my house. Okay, I got my family. Praise God. Let's go build another one. Lost my money. So what? Let's go get another job. You can't hold a good man down. I'll go get 10 more jobs. Are you listening to me? I'll start 10 more churches. All right, bury one of my children. God bless them. I'll see them in heaven. I've already told them they all better be ready to meet Jesus. I'm not promised another day. Are you listening to me? I said to my wife the other day, you better kiss me now because I'm not promised to come home after this bike ride. You, you, you all getting this? See, we, we think we hold on to this world, and then when it gets taken from us, we want to shake our fists at God. He never promised you any of that. What he promised you was a world of trouble, but in this world be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. See, now preaching like this may not get people in Chicago happy, but it will set people in Texas free. You understand what I'm saying? This is the kind of preaching you want to hear when you've just lost everything and you've put your identity on your job. You've put your identity upon your family. You've put your identity upon your house. Get wisdom to understand you can't put your identity in anything. Some people say, well, I'm going to do something noble and be a great father. Well, praise God because the Bible says even pagans know how to be great fathers and give their children bread. But listen, there are no fathers in heaven. There are no mothers in heaven. There are only sons and daughters of God. You better be a parent as a child of God serving Jesus. Because if you think you're going to get to heaven, not have Jesus in your heart, but when you get there, God's going to say, well done, my good and faithful father. He's going to kick you out to hell. It's well done, my good and faithful servant. So that means I'm a child of God before I'm a husband. I'm a child of God before I'm a father. I'm a child of God before I'm any of this. And that's why, by the way, everybody listen to me, that's why we as people in America could face plagues, could face the hardest of times. Most women lost half their children to stillbirth. Just read the stories of people 100 years ago, and we could still go to church, sing hymns, love God, and work a farm because we were more humble. We understood our place. We didn't think that we were the king of the the world. We didn't think that we were owed anything. Give us a plot of land. Thank God for the land. Dig it up and plant some seeds. Dear God, I know I don't make that thing grow. Thank you for the seed time and harvest. Might as well go to church today on Sunday because everybody got common sense and knows we better rest today lest we get the curse of God on the land. So we all go to church and give God glory. So-and-so just had a stillbirth, had to bury her daughter out in the backyard yesterday. Well, she's here. Amazing grace. Let's sing a song then. You didn't go to, to a funeral parlor to see death taken care of. You had to take care of the dead yourself. We're so afraid of death. We can't look at dead bodies. We don't even understand this whole thing's a body made for death and destruction. 
curse from the day it was born. All the imperfections and sickness, we feel so sorry for the child, and I do too, looking at the one dying. But my friends, you're going to die a miserable death as well. Some even think the young are better because they suffered less. My friend, you may die of cancer, leukemia. You may die a miserable death. Are you listening? You were never owed anything on this earth. Better get woke. Better get woke to what the Bible says. Better get a spirit of wisdom. Better get a spirit of revelation. You didn't make today. You're here. Be grateful. You didn't give yourself sense. You have it. Be grateful. You didn't give yourself to, to the power to produce wealth. You have it. Be grateful. It will change the way you see the whole world. The day I got saved, I didn't see the world the same anymore. I understood now that there was something that I had been missing, and that was my creator was in charge. And what we need to do, my friends, is get a hold of this, because some of y'all have been listening to me read this, but you don't get this. I keep asking Joe Wyrostic is asking that you and you and every single person in here gets the spirit of wisdom. Get rid of the stupid spirit of folly and gets the spirit of revelation so that you may know your God and you may know him better. You say, Pastor, I've gone through hardships. You better know him better in those hardships. Well, Pastor, I've lost everything. Get to know him better. You're not distracted anymore. Well, Pastor, the people I loved have died. You better get to know him as the friend that will never leave you. David said, my mother and father have forsaken me. My dad said to me, he never understood that scripture. He was converted from Catholicism as a young man. He never understood that. He said, David, you must have had a bad mom and dad. I mean, they forsook you. I never had that. Even though my parents were Catholic, they loved me. He went to his dad's gravesite, and that scripture came alive. Dad, you forsook me. Dad didn't have a choice, though, did he? Can't call out to him, though, right? So according to the Bible, he is now forsaken by his dad. Dads, don't you make yourself an idol to your children because you will forsake him, forsake them and confuse them when you die and you are there in that grave. Teach them about God the Father. Some of you think I make this stuff up to be sassy. I got quotes from people that were from 1000 A.D., Christians who lived at that time. Some of y'all don't even know that time existed. You think you're so important, you can't even remember your great-grandparents. That's what you'll be to your great-grandchildren. They'll forget you. You're so not important. I talk about 1000 A.D. You don't even know one person from there. You have to Google it and say, who was around at that time? You're not important. God deems you special. But you better get to know him. Know God and know your purpose. Know God, no purpose. A little play on words there. K-N-O-W. Know God and you'll know your purpose. Know God, N-O. Know God, no purpose. A man from a thousand years ago was out in the, the time of, uh, you know, fields, working his field. And they came to him and they said, your father has died. And he said, you blaspheme. My father is alive. They said, no, he's dead. And, you, know, you know, Bob, your father. And he said, oh, he was just a man called to be my father for a few years. My heavenly father knows no time or place or space. He's all powerful. Now, you see, you hear that and you think that man is crazy. 
You think that man has done something that uh, maybe you can't do because uh, maybe this man really said he doesn't love his father as much as you do and somehow you're so much more noble than this man and you love your parents so much better and so you really wish you could take this old saint aside and say, oh man, come on, stop being so super spiritual all the time. I mean, you had a dad, his name was Bob, he died, but this man is saying, no, 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 it's not that I'm super spiritual. It's not that I'm uh, overemphasizing my relationship to God the Father. He is saying, without God the Father, I have nothing, including an earthly father. So I understand who is my greatest father, who is the one that really is going to be there when everybody else leaves. The Bible says, unless you hate your father and mother and brother and sister, you cannot be his disciple. I want to show you that scripture. Because some of you think it's going to be more noble to disobey God. How many know obeying God always is the right thing? Can I tell you why many of you are not happy? It's because you're disobedient. I am not saying that when you are obedient, everything will go your way. I'm saying even when things don't go your way and you're obedient, you're still happy. Some people have taught you that happiness has to do with happenstance, and so you have to get used to the fact that some things will not happen the way you want, and so happenstance comes and goes. But that is a devil's lie. The Bible says you have happiness in the Lord, and it never goes away. The Bible says that in his presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. The Bible says that he himself is joy and full of glory, and the fruit is always with you. The problem is you have attached happiness to happenstance, and that's why emotional happiness is fleeting. But if you attach your emotions to the Holy Spirit, emotional stability is in Christ. If anyone comes to me, Jesus said, red letters, who is talking here? Jesus, thank you. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, now let me just do something here for you. It's going to make sense uh, this upcoming week, and y'all understand it then. But I think you can uh, see where I'm going to go. I'm going to post this clip up, what I'm about ready to say as my highlight from this sermon, and I want to see if y'all will share it with your friends like you share all these other pastors saying what they got to say about your momentary blessings, your momentary happiness, and everything's supposed to be a yellow brick road for you. I want to see if you got enough courage to share this, and it is this. If you don't put God above your mother, father, brother, and children, not only will you go to hell, you're helping them go to hell. And so there is no nobility in putting your family above God. It is only stupidity. You say to yourself, well, I got to go be with my kids. I got to take them to soccer practice. Of course they can't join the youth group. I'm just singing a song to you. Highway to hell. Highway to hell. That's what you want right now. Just sing it to yourself as you're missing church, going down the road. Highway to hell. Come on. Well, pastor, don't you know it's going to get cold out. I've got to go to the park today. I've got to go and get my boat out. i got to do all that. As you start up that boat today, feel the wind in your hair. Just sing it. Highway to hell. See if you got courage to share this, church. I see how many people on Facebook want to share this kind of preaching. Because this is the preaching that keeps you from hell. It's the kind of preaching that allows you to know what heaven is worth. Heaven is worth it all. 
You sacrifice everything for heaven. It is the pearl of great price. There is nothing worth anything compared to it. And there's no comparison. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty of what our God does for us. Is whatever we give up for him, he's going to give back in his kingdom. And so he promises us as I have in today's notes, that whoever loses their family for Jesus' name, whoever loses their fields for Jesus' name, get more in the kingdom to come. Look at Mark 10, 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last. You see, this is the problem why I said if I was given out $100 to people who could put out 10 things they're praying for. This is why I get upset as a pastor because, yes, some of you have had to walk away from family and friends and jobs to be a Christian, but you don't even know the scripture, the inheritance to pray for a hundred times more in this age and to believe it in the age to come. That's why I get so upset, not with you, but with the devil lying to you. Wants you to make you feel like you're just a loser. Here you are, just the lovable loser, you. You're just so sorry. All you have to look forward to is heaven and a pie in the sky. But don't be too heavenly minded because you know you won't be any earthly good. Bible says just the opposite. Jesus was the most heavenly minded person and he changed the earth for good. I double dog dare some of you to touch heaven and change earth. I dare you to look at everybody in your family, look at everybody on your job and do it in such a way as to give God honor and glory. Don't do it to be a jerk, but do it to give God glory and honor and just say it like this. I'm willing to leave you if I have to because there's a kingdom that I believe is coming and it's worth everything. So job, you want to take away my Sunday and my day of worship? I got a song for you. These boots were made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. Take away my worship, I'm going to get out this job. I'll go move out into the farmer field and start farming again if I have to. Pastor, we'll move into a one-bedroom apartment, and we'll give our glory to God there. Why? Because we won't let money, we won't let jobs, we won't let houses, we won't let family, we won't let anything get in the way of us serving God. But when we serve God, you will see things that your mind has never conceived of. My daughter here heard about in the first service of last week, Ishmael bringing some of his kids into the service. And my wife and I were talking, and she overheard us, and she said, can I come into the service? And I said, yeah, but you can't go in the back. You can only pick one, obviously. And she said, well, I want to be in the service. And I said, why do you want to be there? She said, because I want to worship. And she said, I want to hear the word of God preached. Now, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. My peers who may have $10 million in the bank do not have that. Baez does not have that. Do you understand? Oprah Winfrey does not have that. Are you hearing what I'm telling you today? What is worth it to you? What are you willing to give up for the kingdom? You were not put on this planet to raise up soccer stars. You were not put on this planet to send your kids to U of I. 
you were put on this planet to make sons and daughters of Zion for the kingdom to come. Now, if it is God's plan for them to go to U of I, you prepare them for U of I and for what it is. But you do not have the stupid American dream in your mind as their goal because it is an American nightmare. Some of you maybe have just come to the country, and I say that in all humility. Maybe you haven't been here for a while. Maybe some of you wish you could go move into the suburbs and maybe give your kids, a what, a BMW for their 16th birthday, and uh, maybe you want them to be doctors and lawyers. That was the neighborhood I grew up in, and those were the ones committing suicide, and those were the ones addicted to drugs, and that was the one who I knew walked off a cliff and died and fell into a creek at a Grateful Dead concert, and those were the ones that started shooting up heroin and I'm thinking of one particularly right now that was walking the streets as a bum and lived in the fanciest house in our neighborhood. And it's at U of I, and I've preached there year after year. I wish I could go there for about six years. I preached at U of I every fall as they would come in. And the brokenness of those young people, you wouldn't trade for anything. And you know why? It's because this is what we have been taught to tell our kids. I just want you happy. I just want to raise my kids. I want you happy. And that doesn't matter what you do. I just want you happy. And so that's why now they come to their parents and they say, Dad, I know you just want me happy, so I hope that you're happy. I want to now become a woman. I, I was born Bob, but now I want to be Betty. Well, as long as you're happy, as long as you're happy. I want to live with my boyfriend. I want to live with my girlfriend. I don't want to go to church anymore. I want to do whatever I want. Well, as long as you're happy made the idol of happiness, bowed down to it, kissed its feet. And that idol doesn't love you. You guys understand idols don't care about you. All they are is a fictional character for a demon that wants to destroy you. I don't even got time to get half the message today. Let me just skip ahead. Can I skip ahead? Don't even have time to read the rest of the passage. The Lord is upon my heart right now. Listen to this. I have nothing against the Cubs. Listen to me, I don't. I want everybody to hear me. I am not a legalist. That means if it's not in the Bible, I give you permission to do it. Okay? If the Bible doesn't say you can't, you can. So I don't have a problem with a man or a woman in our church working hard, spending their money, give to the church. They did their tithe. They did their offering. The Bible says they can spend it on whatever they want as long as it's not sin. They will have to suffer the consequences, obviously, if they're not wise. But many responsible people can have a great, uh, you know, financial setup and still go spend money on these guys. That's okay. I'm not here to be legalistic. I almost wore my Cubs shirt today just because it's a longer sleeve shirt. So it's nothing to do with sports, nothing to do with entertainment. I have my own sports and entertainment I enjoy. I'm not here to be a legalist. You can enjoy those things. But I want you to understand, look at me carefully. These people do not care about you. They do not care about you, and yet you are willing to trade your inheritance for them. Today's message is on the inheritance of God. I don't even have time to really get to that scripture, but I'm just going to say it to you. The Bible says that he wants the eyes of your heart to be open so that you will know the hope that he has prepared for you is a glorious inheritance. And the problem is the reason why we're not seeing God's inheritance upon this earth right here. The reason why we're not seeing this prayer answered, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is because we think this is our inheritance. We want to be this person. Now, you may say, well, no, I'm a Sox fan. I don't care. It doesn't matter. You get my point. And you may say, well, I'm not a sports person any bit. But, yeah, you want this on your job. You want this for your company. There's something in this world made of sand 
that attracts all of us. And if we're not careful, we can become just like our society, led by a pattern where we call this our inheritance. This young lady screaming right here has lost her mind for this team. Her dream has come true. A fictional story. I'll just make it up. Bear with me. She wanted it because her mama wanted it and her grandpa wanted it. And this is her best friend. And they spent $300 to be there that day. And oh, man, this is their dream. I just want to ask you something. Put yourself there before you heard this message. Don't try to be too religious now and act like you wouldn't relate to her. And that's okay to be excited. I don't want to keep qualifying myself. But, yes, your company does something great. Your job does something great. Your team does something great. We were made to be emotional, but hear my point. Let's stop her right here. Let's imagine if I could just go, boop, pause. Young lady, let's just call her Betty. Come here. Let me talk to you for a second. One to ten. One to ten. How, how important is this to you right now? Oh, it's a ten. Oh, it's a ten. Okay, let me just make sure I understand what a ten is. I would consider, ma'am, I would consider a ten, your, the birth of your child, marriage, all of these things. Is it still a ten? Well, maybe like a nine, but yeah, real close to a ten. Okay, got you. Now imagine if I ask her this. Imagine if I just ask her this. At this moment, at this moment right here, how important is this to you? This is Billy Graham's crusade in Soldier Stadium with over 100,000 people. And I just show her a picture on my phone, and I say, would this get you that excited? One to ten. What do you think she would say looking at me? She'd be like, church in a stadium? Maybe a One? A two, because there's hurting people out there. Maybe somebody needs it. What do you think these people here representing our city would say? See, the problem is we've gone to our idols. And we said, Baez, take away my pain for an hour. Help me forget about my divorce. Help me forget about my children that are on drugs. Help me forget about my depression medication. And Baez, hit a home run for me so I feel like life is worth living again. And after that home run is over, after that party is over, after that celebration is done, there is absolutely no change. So I ask you that same question. And the reason why... Just to put a little pause here, I have to show you an altar call in the Philippines of hundreds of people is because I can't even remember the last time Chicago has even seen a thousand people saved at one time. That's why I got to show you people from another nation coming to one altar call at a crusade. Are you listening to me? You say, Pastor, does it matter? Yes, it does matter. Because Jesus taught us the principle, where your treasure is, is where your heart is. And what Paul was praying was that we would have eyes to see through wisdom and revelation what this whole thing was all about. And so where is your treasure today? Where is your treasure? Because if your treasure is just with your children, then you're going to have a sandcastle crash one day. Because your children won't live with you forever. When they're 18 years old and they say bye-bye and you try to suckle them to your teeth for another 10 years, you and them are both going to be codependent and you're going to ruin their life and your life. You raise them for them to go. For them to go. 
And some of you don't even understand what that means for me. So don't you talk to me like I don't understand. My daughter has already had dreams that she's supposed to be a missionary. I will be sending her to a place like where Jean and Tisa are at. They just got robbed again. My daughter may have to go to a place where my heroes are at right now. You want a Facebook page to follow? Follow the Live Dead movement. Live Dead. Dick Brogdon started a movement with the Assemblies of God to reach the 1040 window, the unreached people group of the Middle East. They train them up in the language. They go dark. This is like real deal. They grow out the beards. Women wear the hijabs. They leave their children in another country for private school. And they go underground where if they're found out, they can die. They've already lost people. See, what are you willing to give for the kingdom? I've already understood what it means to say goodbye to my daughter. I was sitting down with a man that has a million-dollar business in New Orleans, one of the most godly men I ever met. By the way, godliness does not change with money. If you're godly, you can be godly with a lot of money. Can I hear an Amen. And being poor don't make you spiritual. You can go to hell with two cents in your pocket. So don't you get this mindset that the rich can't serve God. This man was a multimillionaire, owned two businesses, clothing store, worked in a high-rise building at the bottom floor, and sold to, he sold his designer clothes to all the bankers and all the people who worked there. Suits upwards of $2,000, ties a few hundred dollars, pants four or $500. I worked there for a summer, and he would do Bible studies every morning with us. He was a man of God. But I went out with him, and he said to me, and I just had my first daughter. He said, what's her name? I said, Bethany. He goes, House of Misery. And he knew the names of the Bible. I go, yeah, that's what it means. He goes, what's her middle name? I go, her middle name is Grace. And I already knew where he was going. He goes, God's going to send her to Houses of Misery to be Grace. But you see, the moment I understood that, a little bit of fear came in me because that means she has to go to Houses of Misery. See, my greatest dream for my children is not to be happy in the worldly sense. My greatest dream for my children is to be happy in God, is to be happy in God. I don't want them to be satisfied with the things of this world. And so you have to ask yourself, where is my greatest treasure? Where is my greatest happiness? Because it's those things that you need to set your mind upon. Let me end with the introduction. Can I end with the introduction? Let me end with this scripture for you because I do have a few more minutes and I felt like the Lord got that out today for us because I want to be honorable to what he said. But let me just share that scripture with you as we scroll up here back to our introduction. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Look at this. Let's read it together, verse 18, 1, 2, 3. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. So what we need to do is learn to use our imagination for the things of God. Talking about enlightenment, it talks about the imagination and things coming to light. And when we talk about inheritance, we're talking about the things God purchased for us on the cross. You get the will when somebody dies. Who died so that we could get the will of the Father? So the will of the Father has been revealed through Jesus. That's why he is our yes and amen. Go to your Bible this week and find ten promises that God gives you and put a scripture next to them and come next week because I'm going to talk about the power of God to fulfill promises, to push back hell and to see heaven and to see this world change. Can I get an amen? That's what we're going to do. So what I want to do is just show you real quick as a way of introduction to this, I talked about it last week. Let's all just close our eyes. 
You don't have to close your eyes to do it. But we close our eyes not to be distracted. My eyes are closed, so I'm not paying attention to you anymore. That's why I think the tradition of closing your eyes started uh, when you pray because it's not a command in the Bible. I want you to use your imagination to show the power of it and that the gift that God gave you. I want you to put yourself in your bedroom right now as if you were preparing to go to bed. You're laying upon your bed. You've hopped on. You've slipped under the covers. You've put your head against your pillow. I want you now to look around your room, see the items that are there, the things that may be in your room like a TV, a dresser, pictures on the wall. See them right now. I want you to look at your hands as you're laying in your bed. Look at the color of your sheets, your comforter. Just to do an action so that you can see the power of your imagination. Pretend now that you want air underneath your blanket and just shake your blanket right now over your bed, over yourself as if you were getting a little bit hot. Turn to your side. Now open your eyes. Were you able to do that in your imagination? I know that I was. I could see the picture of my wife and I on the wall. I could see my hands coming up and shaking my white comforter as I did it, as I rolled to the side. I could see my dark burgundy, whatever, a colored dresser and the things that I have there. You know why you have an imagination? It's because you're made in the image of God. You want to know why Martin Luther King Jr. had a dream? It's because he was made in the image of God. You want to know why the Cubs won the World Series and saw it when no one else did? It's because they were made in the image of God. They were given the power of imagination. They were given the power to see things that the world can't see. Now the Bible says that we are to do this for God. We're not to play make-believe. We're to do this for the things that God tells us to do. Now look back at the Bible and see what things the Bible does to provoke your imagination. The Bible says Jesus looked at a mountain and he said, You see this mountain? If you say, Be cast into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, it can be done. How many believe mountains can be cast into the sea? I've talked to people before and think that's too big of a deal. How many think it would be a big deal in a Bart Simpson uh, cartoon for them to draw the mountain being tossed into the sea in the cartoon? How many think that would be a big deal? How many think it would be a big deal on you a piece of paper to draw a mountain being tossed into a sea? You could do that, right? That's what creation is to God. He's the designer of what we call the entire universe. He can toss whatever he wants wherever he wants. Are you listening? Some of our smartest minds right now believe we're in a virtual reality. I'm like, you're getting close. We're in the virtual, real reality of God's world. We're in the real reality of God's world. He's our creator. Did you know that? Elon Musk, the founder and the, the inventor of Tesla cars, believes you're in a virtual reality right now. But I believe we're in the reality of God. Can I hear an amen? And that means we can change things. That's why Jesus could walk on water. He wasn't defying the law of, of, of gravity. He wasn't defying the law of H2O and what it was. He was just operating by a higher law. He had the designer's code within his feet. Are you listening to me? You've got to read your Bible to understand your Bible. What about the pictures the Bible gives us? Let's close our eyes and think of a picture as I quote it, quote it to you. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He maketh me alive beside the still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I know I forgot some things, but what do you see there? He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Open your eyes. What do you see? God is 
speaking to us through our imagination. Now, what did Peter do? Peter went up to his, his room to pray, just like how we need to pray with our imagination. And there God gave him a vision. I don't think we bring forth our own visions. That's demonic. I'm not talking about doing the Ouija board or doing something in a sweat lodge with a Native American smoking peyote. I'm not saying that your imagination is necessarily a God thing. What I'm just saying is God gave it to you to use. When Peter put himself in the place of prayer and imagination, he had a vision. The Bible promises us dreams and visions. Dreams are what you see that God wants you to see while you're asleep. Visions are what God wants you to see while you're awake. And for those of us who have had visions and I've had them, they're no different than what we just had right here while we occupied our imagination with the things of God. And so the question is to you, what do you see when you close your eyes? I want you to see the inheritance that the Lord has for you. Because as we've learned, we can change our brain. So what do you think happens, as we've learned before, and I don't have time to get into all the details, what do you think happens when you close your eyes and you see that you're seated in heavenly realms? What happens, do you think, when you see the inheritance of being made holy and blameless in the sight of God? What do you think happens to your brain when you believe you're adopted and you are son or daughter of Jesus, given his glorious grace, washed by the blood? Have you ever meditated on that for a half hour, forgiven of all sin, lavished with all wisdom and understanding? You've been made known to know the mystery of God. You're chosen and predestined according to God's plan marked and sealed and how about the things that he promises have you ever thought about the day of redemption putting yourself there when you get a new body and you walk and, and talk to Jesus why is it we think we're going to fish in heaven fishing will be stupid in heaven heaven is the glory of God and upon the new earth is the glory of God stop limiting yourself to earthly imaginations dream big with a big God well, I just can't wait to get to heaven so I can play a game up there no that game will be stupid up there we play this game here now because we don't know what heaven is like. I want everybody to look up at me, please. I have nothing against sports. Do not get me wrong. Nothing against entertainment. But if you got on this, I guarantee you, you would spend 10% of the time you're spending right now on entertainment on those things if you understood these things. You'd spend the 90% you're spending on those things, entertainment, you'd give it to God right now. They would have to go back to playing baseball in my backyard. My, my, my great cousin was a professional baseball player in the days they used to have to pay their own way. Look him up, Johnny Wyrostek. I want to tell you something. The only reason why they got to become megastars is because we allowed them to become megastars. You start going to those games like your friends come to church, they won't have any money left. I'm going to say that again. You go to the games like your friends come to church, they won't have anything. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I haven't spent $1 on a Cubs ticket. They would go out of business if everybody was like me. Are you listening? And then if you guys said, well, I still want to go with my family. It's a fun activity, Pastor. I mean, we love to do stuff. So. I totally get that. But they wouldn't be having millions of dollars. They may get paid about as much as a teacher. And so for all of you guys who are upset they're getting paid more than teachers, stop paying them more than teachers. Do you understand? They're getting paid more than teachers because you pay them more than teachers. So going back to my point, when was the last time you thought about the bodily resurrection and the day of redemption? When was the last time you thought about ruling and reigning with Christ and what God was going to do upon this earth? I love talking about this with people who are spiritually minded because then they understand what I'm talking about. You see, everything we've done here is just a type and shadow of what we'll do there. So let's say you're here today like Alex and you're gifted in technology and you do your best, you start your business and you do it as unto the Lord. But let's say he doesn't become the next Silicon Valley billionaire. That's okay. He does it unto God, though we're believing for the Billy. Amen. But he does it as unto the Lord. He, you may say, Pastor, what difference did it really make? He never got to be as rich as Apple. He may, you know, maybe 
maybe he had a good life, but, you know, Apple was better than him. No, 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 no. What you don't understand is the kingdom of God. See, in the kingdom of God, what he did earned the right for the next thousand years for him to be over everything in Silicon Valley. See, some of y'all don't believe that, though. What you think I just said to him was equivalent to you will be ruling and reigning with the princesses of Frozen. Right? I mean, that's what it sounded like I said. What, Olaf? You're going to be Olaf. That's what you're going to be. So, so work hard for Jesus. Give your money to the church so your pastor can be rich because the greatest thing you have to look for is one day being Olaf. That's how people just translated what I said. Pastor wants him to make more money, so pastor makes more money, gives him a little pipe dream of some make-believe story he'll do somewhere down the line, and just who wins is the church. The pastor wins. They get more powerful. The guy, the working man, just suffered, right? You just sold him a bull, uh, You basically just sold him a bill of goods. Just told him to go play make-believe so you could become rich. Is that what church is? I want you to see what Jesus talked about. Somebody say, Jesus. You tell me. I know pastors have abused their authority in the church, but I wanted to see if I should be doing what Jesus did. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. What did Jesus do for the 40 days after his resurrection? Spoke about what? Did he describe to them what heaven was like? Did he tell them how to have their best life now, how to be rich, how to be real estate moguls or whatever? Nothing wrong with doing great things in life. But what did he talk to them about for 40 days? Kingdom. Disciples, you're going to rule and reign with me. The world is going to be remade. I'll be ruling on a throne from here. Look at this prophecy of Isaiah. Is it, let me just back up. Do you even understand why the disciples knew how to interpret the Old Testament the way they did? Some of you read the Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament, you're like, how did they come up with that? How did they know to connect that and Zephaniah to Jesus? Jesus was with them for 40 days holding Bible studies, teaching about the kingdom, going, hey, you remember this weird reference in Zephaniah? Me, kingdom coming. You see this reference in Isaiah? Me, kingdom coming. You see this where it says seven people are going to grab the hem of a Jew just to follow them to the holy mountain? That's them coming to the mountain I'm ruling on. Joel, last days, that's what I'm doing when I pour out my spirit. How do you think Peter knew to stand up and say, this is the last days? Now watch. As he did this, he talked about the kingdom of God. He said, don't leave until you get the promised Holy Spirit and you're going to go preach. Notice, he tells them, kingdom of God, Holy Spirit, go preach. What did the boys want? They gathered around him and asked him this one question. When are you going to make us rich? No. When are you going to give us all the money in the world and give us power? No. When are you going to buy houses for it? No. Uh, when are you going to build a great big church? What was their question to Jesus? Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's all Jesus cared about. That was all the disciples cared about. And the problem was they had forgot about this middle part right here, us getting boom shakalaka with the Holy Ghost and going to preach the gospel. That's why he now says to them, he says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So let me say this in closing. You better be dreaming about the kingdom to come and all that you do because that's all that matters. It's all that matters. I am a witness of that kingdom for my life. 
I am preparing you as a pastor for that kingdom. You want to go be a doctor, be the best kingdom-minded doctor this world has ever seen. Be like the doctor who invented the MRI, a Christian believer. You want to go be a businessman or woman, go be the greatest businessman or woman this world has ever seen. Go start the next Chick-fil-A, Christian, next Hobby Lobby, Christian, In-N-Out Burger, Christian. Go start the next greatest Christian business. Most of these marketing companies, Christian, Prime America, Christian, run and led by Christian businessmen. Are you listening to me? Go do it. Go be great at it. Teach your children that the happiness they're looking for comes from God. Now as Adam comes, let's close our eyes one more time, please. And now dream of the inheritance that God has for you to change this world. When you close your eyes, ask the Holy Spirit, to put something on the inside of you that's bigger than what you could ever imagine on your own. Holy Spirit, show us your inheritance for our family. Holy Spirit, show us your inheritance for my children. I was closing my eyes the other day. Well, really, I pray or walk like this. So you just got to be careful you don't get distracted and walk out in the middle of the street. But uh, you can walk and do this too. It's a beautiful thing, multitasking with your mind. It shows you that you're a living soul. I was walking the other day and I said, God, show me a picture of what my children will look like 40 years from now. I had an awe-inspiring moment where I was sitting around a table and I saw my children in their 30s and 40s. And their children were about the age of they are now. Now, it could have just been my imagination, sure, but it could have been God speaking to me. Some of those things, I don't know where the line starts and stops, me and God, because I'm so close to him, right? We're so close at those times. But either way, it just gave me hope. You say, Pastor, why did you need that? Well, as the weather was changing, I had a reality check. I will only probably face this 40 more times in life. A summer changed to a fall. Should the Lord tarry as a 40-year-old man, I'll only see this 40 more times. Something how life begins to catch up on you. But instead of those 40 years midlife crisis depressing me, I went into that moment. And I said, God, what will my children be like? See, there was a hope. There was an inheritance. What are the things that you're feeling a struggle for right now in your life? What are you fighting for? Some of you are going through difficult situations. I'm not saying you don't suffer in life. I know you do. I know you've suffered more than most. Many of you here have tough lives. I get it. But God is bigger. God is better. Can you see God changing your circumstance? Can you see God changing your situation? Use your imagination and say, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. How many believe God can change Chicago? How many believe rap music can become pure? How many believe entertainers can become the greatest givers of uh, the gospel and use their wealth to help others? And how many believe that we can see true altruism, you know? Come on. How many believe we can rid the land of abortion? How many believe we can rid the land of racism? Who, who today wants to see the dream of Martin Luther King Jr.? Come on. How about a dream for your business? How about a dream where you start to make a difference there and don't complain anymore, but you come there with a purpose? 
You come there with a purpose. I'm here to help people. And when I help people and do my job well, it will show the kingdom of God. Yes, it may be a small way, but it will be an impactful way. It will be a way that will impact people over time. Week after week, month after month, me seeing these same people and them watching me go through life with joy, them watching me go through life in the presence of God will impact them. I believe that. Now, would you look up at me, please? Can I tell you the problem with many of you now? Is you won't do that this week consistently. And then the week after... And then the week after, you will literally think that this was a corny thing that pastor did. And I don't want to say most, some, half. I don't know how many percentage-wise here. But you will think that is a corny thing we did. And you have no idea that I've been doing this for 20 years. And I will do it until the day I die. The most successful Christians that I know do it every day. Every day. Every. Capital E. Every day. They tell themselves the narrative of God. The narrative of God is in their heart and mind. Now watch this. It was in Jesus's. The disciples just saw people walking towards him. What did Jesus see? A harvest, fields of grain ready to be brought in. I don't know if you remember this, but I used to go to school back in the day before they had the internet and all of these things, and they used to actually have to use, even before projectors, they used to have to use these transparencies that would go over these kind of projector things, and they would put it on the wall. Does anybody remember those? And then what they would do sometimes, like in a biology class, is they would start off with just the outline of the body. And then it would show you the skeletal system. And then you would see the outline of the body, now the skeletal system. And then you would overlay the organs. And then you would see the brain. And then you would see the heart. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And then they would overlay the nervous system. And then they would overlay the skin. And you would be like, oh, cool, that's our body. And if you want to do it reverse, take off the skin. Oh, there's your nervous system. Remove the nervous system. There's your organs, right? Remove the organs. There's your skeletal. Remove that, right? Everyone, how many track with me, even if you don't remember those things, right? Jesus always had the slide of heaven over everything he saw. Everything he saw was through the slide of heaven. Everything. You just see people, Jesus sees the harvest. You see a storm, Jesus sees the code of heaven. I'll rearrange this. Stop. Walk on water. Boom. You see a person with a bad attitude, he sees the devil. Satan, get behind me. I know you're there. Works both ways, doesn't it? I just want you to go through life, not with rose-colored glasses, but with cross Jesus colored glasses you go to that funeral it's a sad day tears come down your eye yeah Jesus cried before he raised Lazarus from the death but you go there saying he is the resurrection and the life yeah you go through life they take your job they do whatever yeah but you go through it saying this is another opportunity to show me he's Jehovah Jireh He just reminded me, my name's Joe, and Joe don't get it done, but his name, Jaira, he always gets it done. 
Thank you for reminding me. It's not about Trump, God. It's not about any of those things. It's about you. And so I believe you'll prosper me in another job, but it will still be you. Right? When you see lost people, you see them the way Jesus does. Come tomorrow, uh, next week. I'd love you to come tomorrow. I'll be preaching at chapel, SUM chapel. But come next week, and we're going to talk about the power that raised Christ from the dead will be in you because we don't walk around life just with our eyes closed playing make-believe. There's going to be some real power. And when we're talking about power, I don't want to give away the message. I'm not talking about the Lord moving you as a puppet and doing all these things that you would think would be superstitious. I'm talking about power that comes through the mental life of trusting God. God uses the spirit to influence the mind, and you become mentally strong because that's where you are attacked is in your mind. And God will guard your mind from the attacks of this world. And that's why, that's why happiness isn't a happenstance. It's who God is. And when I preached to you guys last week, do you remember Pastor Lee who was tortured in North Korea, had to dig holes with his bare hands? How many remember the, the, the testimony of Pastor Lee? And what did he say? I never had one day of gloom. I rejoiced in the Lord every day. Why? Because up here he was made strong. Through his spirit, his mind changed. Through his spirit, power came to his mind. And that's going to be what separates you from life and death. I'm just going to be honest with you. You need this message next week. Can I hear an amen? So study your Bible this week. Here is your homework. And find ten things that God has promised you that you want to come with next week as your inheritance for the power of God to do in your life. If you believe it, would you stand up with me now and give it up for Jesus. Come on. Altar workers, come with the band. We're just going to dismiss. I know I was a little bit long. We'll dismiss now those who need prayer or want to receive prayer. Come on up. Or if you just want to agree with somebody, touch and agree. The Bible says on anything and it shall be done. These people want to dream big with you today. If you don't know Jesus, they'll pray for you to know Jesus and teach you how to be a disciple. But let's get ready to go. Lord, we thank you for today. We're going to go through life with your vision with your insight, eyes of our hearts, enlighten to your hope, your inheritance, and your great power. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Give it up for Jesus one more time. He's the Lord of lords, King of kings. God bless you. We'll see you at Life Groups. You're dismissed. Have a great week. We're going to keep praying, going after God. Those who have to go, you can go. Enjoy your week. Come on, let's work it. Let's work the word today. Let's dream big. Jesus. We believe today. Jesus. 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 Oh, yes. Give us your eyes. Jesus. Jesus, 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 to see the kingdom come, we ask for the opposition, oh Lord, use me. My life for your glory, the eyes of my heart, 
of my heart. Jesus, do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, Jesus. Do it, God. Jesus, we break off the spirit of despair. We break off the spirit of lies. We break off the spirit that says we can't be victorious. We cast out every evil spirit in the name of Jesus. We rebuke every lie of the devil in Jesus' name. We listen to the Lord today. We listen to the love of our Father today. We listen to what the Spirit says today. We believe. We believe. We believe. The eyes of our hearts are open right now to believe. Come on, sing it out if you can. Those who are praying, keep praying. Don't be in a hurry. But let the eyes of your heart see it today. Believe it today. We ask for the nations. Jesus. We ask for the nations. Hallelujah. I want everybody who's here that can, if you're praying, keep praying. But if you're just worshiping and you can say this, I want you to say, I will not be ashamed of my hope. Come on, say it again. I will not be ashamed of my hope. See, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I used to read that, and I used to go, well, I guess it's okay for me to be disappointed in God sometimes because it says that our hope will be deferred. But then I read, those who hope in you are never disappointed. So then I was left with the contradiction or an adjustment to my understanding. Of course, we know the Bible doesn't contradict itself, so my understanding had to change. So I said, Lord, enlighten me. Give me your wisdom. Let me see the revelation. Come on, somebody going to get this. I want you to get this right now. Come on, I want you to get this. I said, Lord, help me understand. And the Lord said, you remember those times you hoped for such and such and it didn't come to pass and then you got your heart broken? I said, yes. He said, that was because your hope wasn't in me. And I said, Lord, but that thing I was hoping for was for you. 
It was for this person to get saved or for that thing to be done. It was your hope, Lord. It was your thing. It was your will, in other words. And he said, whether or not things come to pass, my will is always done. Whether or not people get saved, my will is always done upon the earth. Whether or not people come or go to a church or business, a Christian businessman, my will is still done. Joe, you were disappointed because what you thought was noble to be heartbroken over, to be so disappointed, was really a distraction from seeing my perfect will. And then he brought me to the passage of Romans chapter 12 where it says we have to renew our mind that we may test, Rachel, test, the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. And so now I had to make a decision. Was I going to say every day is a good day with God despite what happens in my church, despite what happens in my health, despite what happens in my country? Would I set my hope on Him and Him alone so that it could never be disappointed? And at that moment, things began to change. And there are some of you right now that God is asking you. I believe Rachel and I hear Jose and there's others of you. That God is asking you to believe for things. Maybe, Rachel, it's for you in the marriage ministry. We talked a little bit about that. Jose, it's for your, maybe your calling and the missions or wherever. And I want us here to guard our hearts towards the disappointment of people, towards the disappointment of delayed time or delayed coming to pass, to the disappointment of lack of results, and that we will say, God, I always hope in you. Whether no marriages get it, my marriage will get it. God, I'll be the number one marriage life group participant grower. I'll have the marriage that you wanted them all to have. I'll be, you know, come on, Rachel, I'll have it. I'll reach one coworker. If that's all it takes my whole lifetime, Lord, and she really gets saved, I'll do it for one. Like Jose, I'll give up my family if I have to, put them in a private school, and go grow a beer and live in Afghanistan. If that's what you say, I got to do. And you know what? Jose Dick Brogdon was raised like that on a missionary compound where he couldn't see his father except a couple times a year and during the summer. And he became an awesome man of God. So those of us who give those things up for our children's sake or for the kingdom's sake, God says he'll give back to us. Now I want us to align our hopes to Jesus. Align our hopes to his plan. That we can say whether he gives or whether he takes away, I'm going to bless the name of the Lord. Whether everybody's healthy today or whether everybody's sick, whether I live a long life or whether I live a short life, whether this church grows to 100,000 or Lucas pastors the church of 100,000, it doesn't matter. Whether they like me at my job, promote me at my job, or whether I have to find a new job, my hope is in Jesus and that is the anchor of my soul. My hope is in Jesus, and he is the anchor of my soul. Can I get everybody who can to say that with me? My hope is in Jesus, and he is the anchor of my soul. 
Come on, y'all ready to face the world? Let's sing one more time before we roll out of here and get to work. Come on, put your hope in Jesus today. Jesus. Jesus. My hope is anchored. My hope isn't in today a storm coming or going. My hope is not in a house standing or falling. My hope is in Jesus. My hope is not in a nation today. My hope is in the God of nations. The King of Kings. My trust is not in the dollar bill. My trust is not in the dollar bill. My trust is not in the dollar bill. My trust is in God. My trust is in God today. My trust is not in doctors. My trust is not in politicians. My trust is in God today. My trust is in God today. I will not be disappointed. I will not be dismayed. Every day is a good day with Jesus. I determine to set my heart on the things above. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. My hope is anchored in you. My hope is anchored You're not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry. Come on, sing it out again. My hope. Can I give another word before we go? God spoke to me the other day about how little people get what we preach around here compared to how many are worldly, a pattern of this world thinking, right? And I began to get a little disappointed. You know, I was kind of running the numbers, the math. And I was saying, Lord, if we're going to get 100,000 disciples, you know, we need more people to start coming at this time, multiplying quicker and faster faster and quicker. You know, I'm running the numbers thinking that I got to figure it out for God. And what I began to hear in my heart was the Lord say, how many of those who came out of Egypt actually went into the promised land? And I said, Lord, it was only Joshua and Caleb. And God said, I ain't in a hurry. I'll let a whole generation die and do it in the next one but I'll still bring people to that promised land. No, I'm being serious with y'all. Y'all got to hear me. I'll pastor 200 people until Samantha, Bethany, and Oli are ready to go to the promised land. Are you listening? Because I've already shown you, and God said this to you, Joe, I've already shown you if a disciple makes a disciple every year and then that disciple makes a disciple, according to the math, in 20 years, you can have half a million disciples. It's called the law of multiplication, Joe. So, Joe, are you willing to wait 20 years while these children grow up and their parents go old for that to come to pass? And I said, yes, Lord. 
But he said, don't be like Moses who got impatient and struck the rock as he was dealing with the people. He was waiting to die. Oh, come on, somebody. And I say it like this. Here's the application. We're not waiting for you to die. But I'm waiting for you to get your purpose. And some of you are waiting for those in your life to get their purpose. You're waiting for your boss to know how to do it better because God gave you some good ideas. And maybe you're waiting for your wife or husband to catch on or your kids. Or you're waiting for your neighbor or the government. But you know what? Don't lose. Don't lose like Moses did the chance to.